grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. This is Jane Sleeker, and today I will be having a conversation with Ruth Lowley, who holds the position of research manager for the organisation Link Up Queensland. Link Up Queensland works to enhance the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who were forcibly removed from their families as children or who were affected by forcible removal policies. This includes work with elders, mums, dads, grandparents, aunties, uncles, sisters and brothers to reverse the cycle of transgenerational trauma and to restore community health, resilience and well-being. Ruth has been with the organisation for about 12 years and the unit that Ruth manages is responsible for undertaking family history research and tracing for clients who are members of the Stolen Generations. The goal is to reunite these clients with family, community and country. I was fascinated to learn that Ruth's study was in the area of anthropology and I will also mention that Ruth has a personal connection to adoption. She is the descendant of two grandparents who were separated by adoption. Both Ruth's mother and father grew up not knowing family members or their own family history on those sides of the family tree. Welcome to the podcast, Ruth. I'm really grateful to be able to speak to you today. Thanks for having me, Jane. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners um, on whose land we work and live together and um, acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging and also take the opportunity to acknowledge our Stolen Generations Uh, community, the clients, um, the uh, descendants and families who are all still living with uh, the scars of past Mm. government policies. Yeah, thank you for that, Ruth. Um, I guess getting into how LinkUp tries to assist this group of people, I know that the organisation began in 1984. Can you tell us how this came about and Also, I guess, any key milestones uh, that have happened over the years. Yeah, sure, Jane. Um, Well, as you say, Link Up Queensland was established in 1984. And this was in response to concerns expressed by the Indigenous community in Queensland at that time about the number of people who were separated from their families and who were searching for their families. We began operating with one staff member being Beverly Johnson. And she was with the organization for a good 13, maybe even 15 years, um, doing groundbreaking work in establishing our link up service in Queensland. And she began working out of Aboriginal childcare offices. Um, A few years later, uh, link up became incorporated. And this was when we set up with a whole working team of caseworkers and counselors and our own link up Queensland office. Um, Since our establishment in 1984, our service has been backed by two main happenings. So one was the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. That was in 1987. Mm -hmm. And what this Royal Commission did was validated the need for a link-up service. What it found in that inquiry was that many of the deaths investigated of those people who had died in custody were people who experienced forced separation from their families due to the actions of past governments. Now, this was 1987. And as you know, from the recent Black Lives Matters movement, Mm. um, what's come out of that three decades on and and, um, deaths in custody is still a very real and upcoming issue um, for the Indigenous community. 
Um, the second main happening, um, and the uh, particularly big one in terms of LinkUp service, is the um, Bringing Them Home report, which was a landmark report really mm. that came out of the Bringing Them Home inquiry um, conducted by the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission in 1995. The Bringing Them Home report was tabled in Parliament in 1997, and it laid out the evidence and it unveiled the devastating effects and transgenerational trauma that the forced removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children has had on families and communities, mm -hmm. and of which continues to have on families and communities today. One of the key findings of the report was that as many as one in three Indigenous children were taken from their families between the years 1910 and the early 1970s under government direction. Um, and that almost all Aboriginal families have been affected in one or more generations by the removal of one or more of their children. So it'd be very difficult to meet an Indigenous person who has not been personally affected mm. in some way. Um, what the report revealed was the shattering effects of past government policies. We're talking, um, you know, broken people, disconnected families, loss of language and suppression of culture, dispossession of land, um, dispossession of traditional law and responsibilities, um, mm. depression, mental health issues, trauma, grief and loss, uh, diminished parenting skills, you know, not having grown yeah. up with that, that love and nurturing yourself, um, substance abuse, the, yeah. the list goes on. And these effects um, we see are commonly shared transgenerationally with mm. their children and grandchildren and um, resulting in the great trauma and distress that's still felt in mm. community. Um, until the Bringing Them Home report, there was widespread or mainstream denial of stolen mm. generations history mm. and this shameful past mm. um, in our country. And what the Bringing Them Home report did was, um, it was the first time that history was acknowledged. Yeah. Um, what had happened to people was real. This history was real. Mm. And LinkUp um, is backed by the findings of this report. So among the 54 recommendations, the report called for funding and assistance to community-based LinkUp and support services to help families reconnect and mm. facilitate rehabilitation through Indigenous-specific yeah. healing and wellbeing approaches. And this is one of the few recommendations that have been met. And I'll talk a bit later about the number that have not, but yeah, um, this is a good thing. Um, I will mention here that um, sadly, the um, separation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children continues today. Mm. It didn't finish in the 1970s. It continues at unprecedented rates. And in the latest figures of the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare in 2016, mm -hmm. it was reported that over 5% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are in care, which is almost 10 times the rate for non-Indigenous children. Mm -hmm. um, adoption's much less common these days, yeah. but out-of-home care and permanent care are on the rise, and really this is quite yeah. an alarming figure. Yeah. Um, the Bringing Them Home report also called for a National Sorry Day to be commemorated every year mm -hmm. to remember and reflect on the injustices past. Um, and it also called for a, a formal acknowledgement and apology. But the Commonwealth resisted this and an apology didn't happen for a good 11 years mm. um, until 2008. And this was after the election of Kevin 07, um, the <laughs> Honourable Kevin Rudd. Um, when he finally issued an apology on behalf of the federal government, mm. um, a welcome apology, um, though overdue. And as a result, we commemorate both Sorry Day on the 26th of May each year mm -hmm. and Apology Day on the 13th of February every year. Mm -hmm. And Link Up Queensland hosts public events on both of these days. Mm -hmm. um, we at Link Up are responsible for the Sorry Day plaque at Orley mm -hmm. Park. Mm -hmm. um, which is the site of the old Aboriginal girls' home at West End. And there's a number of plaques around Brisbane that were erected by Brisbane City Council. Mm -hmm. So um, 
the site here where the old Aboriginal girls' home is, um, the building's been demolished, but what remains are the stairs to the home and they can mm -hmm. still be seen there. Wow. The home operated um, from 1899 to the um, early 1900s and what right. it was was basically a, re a receiving depot, so to speak, for um, young Aboriginal girls who were mm. um, removed from their families and then sent into domestic work for white families mm. um, in and around Brisbane and also the southeast Queensland area. So we gather at that site every year to remember them and all the people um, of the stolen generations. <laughs> What was really powerful, I just, and I just want to check um, that I made a little note here, when you said one in three children being removed? That's correct, one in three. I just, I don't know, knowing being an adopted person myself and knowing um, working in this field for many years, not, um, you know, not with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people but with other Australians and knowing the trauma and the damaging effects and the ongoing intergenerational effects I just yeah I just cannot begin to get my head around yeah what that means one in what three that number yeah, yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing yeah. it yeah. really means that everybody yeah in the, the whole community yeah. has been affected the whole community yeah mm. um <clears throat> and how that relates to all sorts of issues how what that means because we know that what that trauma means for a single person's life and and what that means for a whole community. So that brings me to asking you, what services LinkUp offers currently um, and also any role that you've had in LinkUp over the many years that you've worked there? Okay. Um, so our services, we're a not-for-profit organisation, mm -hmm. um, a community controlled. We have a full Aboriginal board and we're funded by the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Okay. Um, so what the services we're funded to provide are research, reunification and social and emotional well-being healing mm -hmm. services. Um, so our clients, as we've talked about, are specifically Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who've been affected by the past government policies and practices related to forced removal, mm -hmm. adoption, fostering and institutionalisation. So basically um, stolen generations, but also their descendants too, who have also mm -hmm. felt the effects um, of past government policies. Mm -hmm. We have a main office in Brisbane mm -hmm. and a regional office in Cairns, and we service the whole Queensland geographical area, um, including the Torres Straits. And our vision is to redress the continuing cultural, social and individual harm done to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individuals, families, communities. So specifically what our services include are family history research and tracing mm -hmm. to locate mm -hmm. family members. And that's the section that I work in and, and am responsible for. Yeah. Um, financial and intermediary assistance for family, mm -hmm. gravesite, community and back to country reunions. Mm -hmm. Counselling support um, and healing activities mm -hmm. um, such as healing camps and therapy um, workshops, as well as community education sessions and public mm -hmm. awareness events. Um, I myself um, work as a research manager, as you know, and mm -hmm. um, been at LinkUp um, a fair time now. Um, in 2010, I was responsible for setting up the research team. Mm -hmm. um, and I established the policies and procedures and the research methodology that we use. Um, to research our, our clients' cases. And I established our um, stakeholder networks and collaborative working mm -hmm. arrangements, MOUs, um, to pursue better research outcomes for yeah. our clients um, because it is actually quite a difficult space in terms mm -hmm. of accessing records. Mm -hmm. We became the um, first link-up service in Australia mm -hmm. to have a dedicated research team. Yeah. Um, and prior to this, we were based, like other states, on a, a caseworker counsellor only mm -hmm. service delivery model that was, um, it was in part dictated by the funding body at the time. Um, but having a specialist research service um, certainly works for improved outcomes, mm -hmm. which we've seen. The um, research methodology that I mentioned that I designed for mm -hmm. research of our cases has been really successful. And 
um, it was adopted in the course content of the um, IATSIS, being the um, Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. Wow. Um, they have a certificate for in stolen generations, family research mm -hmm. and case mm -hmm. management. So that methodology is now used as a basis for research training for staff in um, interstate link-up services. Yeah. That's fantastic, Ruth. Yeah. Um, um, to talk about my role, I'm, I'm responsible for leading the research team, which is mm -hmm. a pretty small team um, in conducting the family history research and family tracing for clients um, to discover their stories um, yeah. um, and their identity and, and reunite them um, back yeah. Um, yeah. Um, with their family and community. Um, for some clients, we find they may not even know their birth date. Mm. They may not know anything about their family of origin yeah. or where they were taken from. For some people, they don't even know about their Aboriginality. Mm. And this is something they learn later in life. Yeah. Um, we have a, a recent client um, who's only learned of his Aboriginality at 80 plus years old. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. And so that's a really big deal mm. to... Um, mm. Huge. to shake up your, your your life and how you know yourself yeah your self yeah. understanding at, at that age that I wouldn't even know or yeah. both you and I no know. I can't even imagine yeah um so we use a wide variety of government and non-government mm -hmm. records um, yep. as well as oral history to prepare <laughs> complex um genealogical reports and wow. family trees for our client yep. which are presented to them prior to the reunion yep uh, we find that uh, family history is a really large part of healing. Yeah. So um, this also adds to our healing initiatives in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to do the research reports and family trees that we do, um, people often comment how meaningful they are to them yeah. in um, reconnecting with their identity and their, yeah. their sense of self and belonging. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're um, funded to assist adults over the age of 18. So sadly, as I mentioned, the history of child removal continues mm, yeah. um, at alarming rates. And there is a gap in services to those children that are currently in care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they're disconnected from family and culture. And we often field inquiries for them in the research wow. team. But um, as our funding is specific, we those children have to wait until they come of age yeah. for assistance, yeah. which is sad. And, which is really um, sad, yeah. It, yeah, and it really comes with its own issues too, you know, for them yeah. um, growing up and persistently being disconnected from culture and yeah. until they're an adult. So the transgenerational effects are very real and they're being yeah. felt today. And um, I've been witness, for example, to a client who came into our office one time and he was very distressed. Um, mm. At that moment, his partner was in the hospital giving birth mm. to their child and child safety was at the hospital waiting to take that baby into the system. Mm. So we see this happening in, in full force, you know, yeah. in front of our eyes, and it's really an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, in 2018, the um, Australian Institute of Health and Welfare found that of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, one-third are directly descended of Stolen Generations members. Mm. And so what they found was that yeah. it relates to approximately um, 158 thousand people so yeah it it's like that it, uh, people like to say that the stolen generations finished in the 70s but really mm, um, there's no. a need for a link up service for a very long time yeah i can see that i um yeah when you think about what you said about uh children we know identity development it happens when you're an adolescent and the sooner um someone's real story and family history can be integrated into their understanding of themselves, the better. So 100%. to have to wait, it's not, um, I don't think it's psychologically, you know, ideal at all. So it would be nice if eventually services could catch up and, and we try mm. to be assisting young people that are That's right. not with their families. Yeah. Yeah, it's the importance of identity yeah. in those formative yeah. years, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, so some of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who went, who were forcibly removed went on to be adopted, as you say, not all, but some. In previous podcast episodes, we have spoken about issues that affect adopted people and parents who have lost children to adopt adoption. And um, probably the one people could 
look at if they want to is the 24th of March where we interviewed Daryl Higgins about the Australian Institute of Family Studies research into this. However, I'm aware that there are very unique issues and also extra issues that affect Indigenous Australians who have been impacted by adoption. So I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about this. Um, yes, certainly. And um, there are unique issues for sure. Um, removal was um, through adoption into white families, but it was also through um, institutionalisation, fostering, um, removal into um, mission dormitories that were mm. on the reserves. Yeah. So these kids were actually living in the same um, confined reserves as their families, but never being able to see them as they were um, locked into the dormitories. Um, also being sent to live and work for white families as domestic mm. servants or as farm hands or on the station. Yeah. Um, one of the first and foremost differences is that removal and adoption was racially motivated and it was legislated by past governments. Mm. Removal became a systematic part of assimilation policies that was adopted by all state and territory governments in Australia in the 20th century. So it was official government policy to end um, official government practice to remove Aboriginal children based on the colour of their skin, basically. And police played a role as well in the physical separation of children from their mothers. Um, mothers were lied to and tricked into um, their children being taken. And they mm. were also, um, there was also a physical element in, in um, ripping those children away. Mm. In Queensland, um, legislation um, as this was introduced as early as 1865 mm -hmm. with the Industrial and Reformatory Schools Act. Um, this legislation dictated that any child born of an Aboriginal mother was deemed to be neglected, full mm -hmm. stop. Um, and this was followed by protectionist legislation, which allowed for the removal of children based on race only. Mm -hmm. And there was no need to establish, for example, to a court satisfaction that a child was at risk. Mm -hmm. um, those mechanisms weren't in place at all. And official legislation was in place until the early 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that Bringing Them Home report found was that the removal of children was a gross violation of human rights. Mm -hmm. It was systematic racial discrimination and it was genocide. It was um, a breach of yeah. international law and aimed to eradicate an entire race. Yeah. And um, to date, I don't think that element's been talked about a lot. And to date, mm. no government's been held mm. accountable mm. Um, for the genocide or attempted genocide in our country. Yeah. Um, this was all based on the archaic ideas of eugenics at the time, um, yep. very prevalent idea at the time. So it was this idea that um, Aboriginal people were a so-called um, unfit race and would, um, in inverted commas, eventually die out. And yep. um, the idea was to remove mixed race children with the idea of breeding out or diluting the Aboriginal race um, in pursuit of an all-white Australia. Mm. So there was a wider policy of segregation of Aboriginal people at this time too, not only from their children, but from white society generally. And many were forcibly taken from their homelands and locked onto um, missions, um, reserves, um, with all their movements and um, their freedoms uh, restricted. So at this time, all um, aspects of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's lives were controlled. Mm. You couldn't you couldn't live where you wanted to. You couldn't yeah. marry who you wanted to without permission. Um, you couldn't work unless you were given permission. And, and even then your wages were um, controlled by the government and you didn't have access to them. Yeah. You couldn't go to hospital unless um, the protector allowed you to. The mm. list just goes on and on. Mm. Um, so the protection and assimilation policies um, was the grounds for adoption and the adoption of Indigenous children almost always occurred within white or at least um, within non-Indigenous families. Yeah. Um, the Bringing Them Home report um, also reported that for Aboriginal people, um, different to Torres Strait Islanders who, who have traditional adoption practices themselves, for Aboriginal people, adoption is foreign and it's in complete contradiction of mm. Aboriginal traditional laws and, um, yeah. and um, values which oppose adoption. 
Yeah. So for Aboriginal pe people, um, child rearing practices are based um, solely in kin and community mm. and a, a child's connection to their biological family would um, never under no circumstances be severed. Separation um, so has had um, great effects on Indigenous culture and community and those cultural links have been destroyed. And this was one of the aims of those protectionist and assimilation um, policies. So there's disconnection, not just from family, but from inherent identity, um, loss of language, loss of um, traditional land, spiritual ties and obligations um, of knowledge and responsibilities. And separation has denied people of their ability to partake in the cultural and spiritual life of their communities. And what we see is that this persists for people's children and grandchildren mm. too, who yeah. have been disinherited of their um, family history and of mm. their heritage and belonging. Mm. Um, I know that um, loss of identities are a common issue that comes up for adoptees, as you mentioned. And for stolen generations, um, there's the additional um, element of confusion and alienation that comes from being an Aboriginal child in a um, non-Indigenous family. Yeah. You know, facing racism and not belonging or being fully accepted in the white world, but mm. at the same time being disconnected and isolated from their own race community. Yeah. And our, our clients often talk about those um, feelings, you know, of yeah. um, not feeling white enough to be white, but not yeah. feeling black enough to be black. And um, also as the objective was to, um, you know, absorb children into white society, yeah. their Aboriginality was either um, denied or kept secret yeah. or it was denigrated. And yeah. they were installed with really negative views of Indigenous people and yeah indoctrinated to believe in the inferiority of Aboriginal people yeah. and culture is, you know, is something to be ashamed of. Um, it was very much ingrained. And for some Stone Generations members and our clients, this is something that can be hard to work through and to overcome. It's, um, I'm glad you bring up the words of genocide and eugenics. Um, as you were saying that and you said it, you don't really think it's recognised. I remembered back in high school I did an assignment and I you could choose the topic and I actually compared the stolen generation to Nazi Germany and genocide basically yeah. the whole purpose is to eradicate a race of people um, and I can't even again imagine I know sometimes I feel anger actually rage about things that happen with adoption and then when you feel rage and anger and you try to do something and nothing changes then you go into despair and yeah again I just can't begin to imagine living with that feeling completely powerless and yeah, that feeling of hopelessness yeah mm -hmm. and feeling as well that the the shame you said being being told um that your race of people are inferior, how that would lead to internalised shame um, and to, to change how things are. You know, it's going to take many, many, many more years because, as you say, the intergenerational effects of that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's also passed down, that shame. You know, this mm. is a really big yeah. um, hurdle in itself to overcome yeah. to then... Um, learn about you learn about yeah. your identity after that yeah. you know and where you belong in yeah. the world pretty yeah. much yeah um, but like you say with nazi germany mm. um it can definitely be compared in that way and mm. that's something we hear about all the time mm. everyone hears about it all over the world about the atrocities yeah. Of, yeah. of hitler and what had happened yeah um but where are we hearing about what's happened in our own country where yeah is it talked about very true it just yeah <laughs> And even no. though we're home report and even though we yeah. have sorry day and apology day, yeah. um, it's still really not talked no. about. No, you still hear very judgmental things. Like you, you hear like you don't hear that 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 our government's done the wrong thing and how no. terrible that is. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah.
can you, we've, you know, we know you've talked about what services LinkUp offers, but, you know, in terms of healing, that idea of healing, which I know is not an easy one, but are you able to give a little bit more detail about how LinkUp tries to aid that healing process for people? Um, well, healing is fundamental to overcoming mm -hmm. trauma, as we know, and to restoring social and emotional well-being. Um, and so that's LinkUp's vision, really to provide healing initiatives um, yep. to assist clients on the healing journeys. And they are a journey, you know, mm. it's not easy. It's, yep. a, it's a road to follow. Um, our healing initiatives focus on reuniting family connections mm -hmm. and restoring strengths of spirit and culture, as this is the source of um, building that identity and self-understanding for people mm. and um, their self-esteem and connection. So reclaiming identity is an anchor for people really to understand mm -hmm. their life and their place in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, our healing initiatives are also about reversing the cycle of transgenerational trauma, mm -hmm. um, overcoming the distress we've talked about that's been passed down through the generations and um, keeping Aboriginal children connected and safe with their families and um, their parents mm -hmm. um, today. Yeah. Um, Client healing journeys um, are tailored. Um, no two cases are the same, just as no two experiences are the same. Mm -hmm. And there's no script we can follow, so to speak. Um, reunions are at the core of our business. Um, and they are facilitated in a way that's, um, you know, suitable and specific for um, the individual. Um, we conduct um, four types, main types of reunions, being family, gravesite, community and back to country mm. reunions. Family reunions are with um, immediate or extended family members, mm -hmm. um, depending on what the client's wishes are in the case situation, um, but also depending on what connections have been established from the records, mm -hmm. because records can be scarce in some instances or mm. um, they may be fruitful in others. Yeah. Um, it's really uncanny, which um, and you, may relate, you may relate to from the stories that you've be encountered in mm -hmm. your own work that um, the number of people who, um, after reuniting, find out that they either, you know, live down the road or around mm, the corner definitely. from yeah. a loved one growing up. Yeah. And um, for Aboriginal people, some people were taken really great distances interstate. Mm. And for others, um, they were right there and could have walked past them in the street yeah. and they never knew. Yeah. Um, sadly, we find that um, many families, have, uh, family members have passed away. Mm -hmm. And so we do offer gravesite reunions as well, um, where that yeah. may be the case. Yeah. Um, we find that for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, often the graves are unmarked, um, though not always. And um, this may be where they may have been buried in um, mission cemeteries on the reserves yeah. or in paupers' graves. And so um, it can be difficult sometimes to have the exact mm -hmm. um, plot when we're reuniting. Yeah. Um, gravesite reunions are um, an important reunion. And we assist clients to reconnect and honour their loved ones um, mm -hmm. through a ceremony wow. of a wreath or a plaque. Um, yep. Some clients may pick music they want to play. Um, I was involved in a graveside reunion very recently and that old uncle had two songs he was very specific wow. about that had to be played um, at the site there. Um, some people may sing a song or have mm -hmm. words prepared that they want to read out. Yeah. Um, the laying of the Aboriginal flag over, mm -hmm. over the plot. Yeah. So um, reunions can be very emotional. Um, our clients are highly supported by a caseworker and counsellor throughout the process. Um, this is before the reunion and the lead up as well as at the reunion mm. and after a reunion. Um, we also conduct uh, community reunions. Mm -hmm. So that's taking clients back to their community of origin, um, meeting with um, people, um, restoring the connections and the feeling of belonging in community mm -hmm. and um, increasing their ability, um, which has been severed, to draw on the strength and support mm -hmm. of that community going forward in their lives. Yeah. Um, and the last type, um, back to country reunions. Um, this is where we're facilitating clients to restore their links to traditional land mm -hmm. and restore their links to ancestors and yeah. um, traditional ties and spirit. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, clients often talk of um, the profound feelings that come over mm. them when they're in country. Mm -hmm. um, of a great sense of peace and 
um, deep connection and serenity. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for clients to talk of um, the signs, mm -hmm. you know, changes in flora and fauna when they're on country. Wow. Um, it could be, you know, the appearance of certain animals. Mm -hmm. um, a recent aunt I was talking to was telling me about these butterflies that appeared and mm -hmm. um, it, it could be changes in wind or weather or yeah. um, the formations of rocks or movements of trees. And they're seen as signs mm. of the ancestors um, wow. being there and, um, embracing and, and welcoming them back and acknowledging mm. their return to country um, and that in itself is a really healing experience yeah. for clients yeah um, reunions do take a lot of research and they do take a lot of planning yeah um, and for back to country reunions um, traditional country for people often lies within the boundaries now of pastoral stations or farms mm -hmm. So for a reunion to happen, it actually requires liaison with the station owners or similar for permission mm -hmm. um, to access. Yep. Um, the land that they're currently leasing or occupying. So if, sometimes we find that we're met with um, distrust or fear, yep. um, particularly where people may have misunderstandings mm -hmm. or fear around yeah. their title or land rights. Um, wow but we're not contacting them to take away no. or anything like that. No. Um, and once we get past that, for the most part, we are successful in getting That's access great. Um, for a day or at least for a few hours. Amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes um, we find station owners who um, can even share stories or um, maybe some records, um, in a, yeah. you know, in a yeah. small number of cases. Yeah. And that's um, um, a really positive thing for the client. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, we have a lot of positive outcomes for our clients, yeah. but um, sadly, sometimes reunions can't happen. Mm. And that's for a variety of reasons. It might be that we've exhausted all research avenues and there just aren't sufficient records yeah. for connections to be made. Um, it might be that records were never created, which is mm -hmm. sometimes the case, or okay. they're um, inaccessible or at the whim of agencies who refuse access. Yeah. Um, it might be that um, family members have passed away or, mm -hmm. or that we find them and they're just, and they're not ready to meet because, yeah. you know, we need to remember that there's distress and um, there's trauma on both sides yeah. that needs working through. Um, and as I touched on before, for some people, it's a culture shock mm. to learn their Aboriginal. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You know, it might be that it's the, par um, the parent looking for the child and when we make contact, this is new to them. Yeah. Um, the Aboriginality. And they've yeah. been given told lies in the past and whatnot. Yeah. And so this all needs working through before a reunion take, can take place. Yeah. Um, our our um, counsellors here at LinkUp assist clients and um, they also provide support to family members on the mm -hmm. other side. Um, our um, counselling team also assists clients in receiving their research information when it's finished. Um, because the research actually often contains highly personal and mm. sensitive information. There can be yeah. really disturbing um, information in the records. Yeah. And the records also contain um, racially derogatory mm. information, which, or language. Language, um, yeah. Which was um, commonly used in that era. Mm. Yeah. And the counsellors can work through this with the client in digesting the research outcome and understanding their family history and working out their reunion options before yeah. the reunion is pursued. Because sometimes yep. there are a few different options that they could choose from. Yep. Um, the other support we provide is healing activities. Yeah. Um, we run a monthly client support group morning tea, mm -hmm. um, yarning circles, mm -hmm. um, women's and men's healing camps. Um, actually, just last week, they got back from a women's healing camp, Halaguna. Mm -hmm. Um, we run music and art therapy workshops. Wow. Yeah. Um, Sounds really amazing, also, powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Also um, group activities um, like the yarn tree we did recently for Sorry Day. Mm -hmm. And um, we had, um, you know, clients having what we termed a craft afternoon where they were mm -hmm. knitting or crocheting patches mm -hmm. and collaged on the tree um, to commemorate Sorry Day um, last month. Yeah. Yeah. Bush Tucker cooking class. Yeah. Like yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we find that a lot of clients talk about Link Up as a second family and um, that's mm. a place that they find a sense of belonging in itself. Yes. You know, and being caught between the, the two worlds and mm. um, this is the place that they um, connect with others and mm. experiences and yeah. can be understood. 
Yes. Yeah, I can totally understand that. We have, um, I've heard people say the same thing just in adoption itself, you know, and what we do that just being with other people that have had the same experience, sometimes they feel the most at ease and the most sense of belonging anywhere else. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, do you, do you have a story of, of like an example of maybe one of these things that, you know, has helped a client and, and the effect that that's had on them? Mm, for sure. Um, I have lots of stories that come yeah. to mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one story um, is really quite dear to my heart. Is yeah. A, an old man, this uncle I worked with for many years. Yeah. Um, his case um, I had for a good five years in research, which is a long time, but it was particularly complex. And what happened was um, in Queensland, mm-hmm. his um, son was removed in the early 1960s mm-hmm. and um, he was out working on a station at the time and his wife was back in Townsville um, with the baby when um, um, child protection came in and took him he was about two years old actually Mm. and what they said and what's recorded in the records is that that child was neglected but when Mm. you speak to uncle all he says is but you don't know he was the healthiest baby you've ever seen um he was yeah he was a chubby baby and (laughs) he he talks about all of that and yeah it was just just a downright lie really yeah um, yeah to validate that removal so anyway um Uncle fought the system for eight years, um, refusing to sign the adoption consent. Mm -hmm. And when I got the records for him through Freedom of of Information, um, which is now right to information in Queensland, but the records validated that. Mm. He um, refused to sign the adoption consent. He kept jumping all the hurdles that were set by the department that if he did this, if he did that, he would get his son back. Mm -hmm. He did this and he did that but he still couldn't get his son back. Mm. Um, they, there was never any intention no. ever but for him to have him back. And there was also threats. He mm. had um, officers come to his house making threats to him. Um, there was one um, instance where um, he had a court hearing to get his son back and he had um, a lady he was working for at the hostel um, she was. She had agreed to um, provide testimony mm-hmm. to also um, uh, state that she um, was willing to house the child if it was given back where he was mm-hmm. living at the um, at the hostel as a worker, by the way. Yeah. Um, but and then he was so confused because he went to the court hearing, and all of a sudden she didn't say anything that mm-hmm. she said she was going to say, and he lived with this for decades. And when we got the records, what we found was that the day before the hearing, she got a phone call. She got a phone call from one of the mm. departmental officers um, in what I, what appears to be threats. Not oh, to talk. no. And, sat, and that sabotaged his hearing. Wow. What's even more interesting is that, that one, this one departmental um, officer yep. appears through the records to just have some type of vendetta against uncle. And he was actually the person that was responsible for uncle himself when he was removed and taken into care. Wow. And he followed him through his life. And it's even on the file that he went and watched his wedding, uninvited, went and watched his wedding. What? And then took it upon himself to remove uncle's child. So anyway, to fast forward a little bit, what happened was the child was taken into the foster care system in Queensland. And um, that foster family wanted to adopt him. And they took him to um, Victoria, again, mm. without the parents' consent, which is right at the time if you're going to remove them outside the state. Okay. And he was adopted in under Victorian legislation. And when I was working for... How do you think that adoption happened, Ruth? I mean, again, just not with consent, was it? <laughs> um, no, what had happened was yeah. um, he refused to sign the adoption consent for eight yeah. years. Yeah. And on the eighth year, he was told a promise Right. He was given a promise that if he if he was never going to get his son back. Yeah. So if he signed it, they would allow him to see him. Oh no. So yeah. he signed it. And did he ever see him? No. no he didn't. No. So just coerced. Yeah. Manipulated. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So that's what happened. Yeah. And um, so back when I was working on this case, which is some years ago now, um, Victorian adoption legislated dictated that. 
um, a birth parent did not have um, rights to identifying information about their child who was adopted out. Mm. So what the department in Victoria did was they would make searches on your behalf mm -hmm. and ask if they were willing for contact and only then provide the details. And this did happen. However, they work within the square and not outside the square. Mm. They follow, you know, A, B, C, and if that doesn't work out, well, sorry about it. Mm. So this is what had happened. And they had conducted several searches but couldn't locate his son. Mm. And that was the end of it. Mm. And we said that's not okay. Mm. So, you know, you need to think outside the square. He was yeah. adopted into an English family. What if they moved overseas? What if they yeah. went back to England? Have you searched there? No, you haven't. Yeah. So um, what we did was um, we decided to take his case to the County mm -hmm. Court of Victoria. Yeah. Um, and we got pro bono legal assistance. Wow. This is not something we normally do at least. Yeah. This is where, like I say, yeah. there's no script to follow. You have to work. Each um, case. That's right, as it is. Yeah. And this is where his case was going. Yeah. So um, we travelled down to Melbourne with Uncle, myself and a counsellor. Wow. And we went to that court hearing and we won. He was granted wow. his um, son's identifying information. Yeah. And we then had a name in which to search with. And when uncle talks about his story, he actually talks about this hearing as really being the most healing part mm -hmm. of his journey. Mm -hmm. And he says um, that the judge said to him, you know, um, um, Mr. James, it's unforgivable what you've done, um, what they've done to you over the mm. years. And for him, he says that was the greatest day yeah. of my life to hear that. To hear Someone that in a judge, position of authority. That's yeah. right, to validate yeah. what had happened to him, that it wasn't yeah. okay, it's unthinkable. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he says it was like a really big burden um, taken off his yeah. shoulders. Yeah. Um, so following this, um, well, actually following the hearing, we went and had to go and see Farlap at the museum because Uncle really wanted to see Farlap. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's quite an impressive size of a horse. Yeah, it, it really was. But, um, <laughs> that's the other thing he talks to to this day was I'm um, going to see Farlap. But anyway. Um, I have we, to say something, Ruth. I have to interrupt. We did a podcast episode in January with an adoptee from America called Pam Cordano. She's written a book that I'd really recommend. It's called 10 Foundations to a Meaningful Life No Matter What's Happened. Mm -hmm. but she actually has coined the term museum therapy. And she says sometimes the most helpful thing you can do with a client is just get out there and, and see something and have a new experience. I mean, obviously the court case was here healing but Farlap just topped it off yes it really did <laughs> just wanted to see Farlap oh I think anyway my uncle would really identify with that <laughs> um yes yeah, so we had a name then to search um mm -hmm. to search with and um his son was indeed difficult to find this is why mm -hmm. the Victorian department ever found him too and it took two years and mm -hmm. I eventually found him living in New Zealand wow um, his adopted parents had taken him abroad and he was living off the grid, not on the electoral mm. roll, not on any phone wow. book, um, he, not on social media. He was very difficult to mm. find. Um, but when we did, um, he didn't know he was Aboriginal. Um, he wow. was never told that. And he came to Australia and reunited um, with his father. He mm. always believed that his father never wanted him. He always thought that if his father did, he would have searched for him. Why didn't he? Mm. And it was really heartened to learn that his father searched for him all these years from the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, never gave up. That's why he never gave up. And um, this man was now in his 50s. Yep. Um, and uncle was in his 70s when they reunited. And, yeah, he decided to stay on in Australia, which he Oh, said. how amazing. Thanks for sharing that story, Ruth. And I know that um, in 2019, Link Up produced a book for your 35th anniversary which contains 35 stories so I think it's called 35 years 35 stories yes that's, it. Um, that's great so we'll we'll put a link to that in our podcast notes as well because people might be interested in more stories and they, that's a really good way for them to to find out about that but before we finish I'd really love to ask you uh, about any steps that have been taken over the years in increasing awareness for this group because as we talked about just before um, still there's clearly not enough you know awareness or, or recognition or acknowledgement so I'm wondering what you'd say about that 
Mm, I probably have a lot to say about yeah. that. Um, yeah. Second's the Bringing Them Home report, which was great, and the National Apology, which was great. Um, there really has been no systematic government response yeah. to recommendations that were made yeah. and um, no systematic response to the needs and rights of Stolen Generations mm. um, members. So we're over two decades on now yeah. and a large number of the reports, 54 recommendations remain unmet or not implemented mm. or what has attempted to be delivered is limited or insufficient. And this for our people has caused more trauma and mm. more trauma for their descendants and families who have inherited this distress. Yeah. Um, as the research manager, one of the key issues for me is around records access barriers. Um, one of the recommendations of the Bringing Them Home report was around permissive records access. Mm -hmm. So records are fundamental to reunions. They're fundamental yeah. to finding family. Yeah. They're fundamental to learning identity and to embarking on that process of healing. And the Bringing Them Home report recognised this and it called for greater access to and preservation of records and it called for the rights of people to obtain information about themselves and their families and their origin. However, today there are still so many hurdles and research can take months or mm -hmm. even years, as, yeah. you've heard, as you've heard in Uncle's case there. Um, many records cannot even be accessed. Or when they're accessed, they're heavily redacted on release. Um, Third-party information is taken out. However, um, that might be your mother's name. Yeah. And your mother's name is actually not third-party information. That's your personal no. information. That's right. Um, yeah. Records may be withheld by agencies or they may be destroyed or lost. Mm. Um, we find for clients who've been taking great distances, records um, may extend across state and territory boundaries. Yeah. And there's different legislation in different jurisdictions and applications, um, application processes differ yeah. and the outcomes are inconsistent. So yeah. um, what yeah. someone can access in Queensland, you may not necessarily be able to access in another state and vice versa. Yeah. We experience um, this as well all the time. Yeah, yeah. it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, for some people, they're lucky to have a service like um, like a jigsaw or like a Queensland that can do mm. that on their behalf. But mm. otherwise, you know, it's just a real mm. like, yeah. it is a maze. And It'd be easy. some people might give up. Some people are fighters, but some people might give up if they're presented with barrier after barrier. Oh, definitely. It's disheartening. Yeah. And yeah. Just, again, it's a sense of just hopelessness. Yeah banging yeah. your head against brick walls. Yeah. Um, we also find that um, some records are held by um, churches or private collectors or repositories, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's currently no legislation or mm -hmm. policies um, governing access to them um, mm -hmm. or their appropriate preservation, yeah. um, let alone transparency around what records they mm. actually have. Um, that's a really big issue. So the Bringing Them Home report, um, it called for consistency, but what we're still seeing is a broken system mm -hmm. and it's affecting our clients. Yeah. Um, I currently sit on the National Historical Records Task Force, mm -hmm. um, which is actually, um, the task force was recommended by the Bring Them Home mm -hmm. um, report. So that is something. And it's facilitated by the Healing Foundation and with representatives from around the country. And so we're working right now towards um, seeking national standards mm -hmm. to improve um, access to and preservation of records. Yeah. Um, it's a slow process. But I hope that over time our work will drive and influence change. Yeah. Um, we want to secure more MOUs um, and influence best practice standards yep. in the various archives and libraries and repositories yep. that hold records. That would um, be great. It would be great. And actually something to, um, something to note, only this month actually, mm. um, the Queensland State Archives issued a statement of intent. Okay. And this is around their commitment to um, um, working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in a more um, respectful, trauma-informed, um, culturally safe way in access to their records, which hasn't always happened yeah. um, in the archive space. Um, yeah. so that's, that's a really positive step. Yeah. Um, because um, no records means no reunions, as I've said. And, yeah, exactly. Um, and they've said that's crucial to healing, so it all ties in. It really it really does. Yeah. And I think um, something to mention as well is with the um, history of um, removals and mm. possession, oral history, which mm -hmm. is so 
valuable yeah um is it's slowly being lost and so more yeah. needs to be done in that area as well there needs yeah. to be funding um to record the oral histories of yeah. the elders and preserve it for future generations yeah um to access yeah absolutely um, another key issue um, um that's uh, needs to be addressed mm -hmm. And off topic right now is reparations. Mm -hmm. And this includes monetary compensation. Yeah. Um, financial redress is important. Um, yeah. Not only to acknowledge the wrongs of past doings, but to redress the um, great health and social disadvantage that yeah. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people endure yeah. as a result of the injustices. Um, about closing the gap. This is again yeah. An, an, yeah. one of the initiatives of the government. Yeah. Um, so the Australian government responded to the bringing them home report with program funding, um, mm -hmm. such as for link up services, which is really great and we wouldn't be here otherwise. Yeah, but it continues to resist establishing national processes for monetary right. compensation. And it says that the responsibility lies with either specific institutions or with um, mm -hmm. state governments. Mm -hmm. And so there are monetary compensation schemes um, in a few states but not okay. all, and it's not in Queensland. Okay. Um, and there's inconsistencies anyway, or limitations yeah. with the yeah. schemes that are so, in place. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, as you'll see from the latest redress scheme that's coming out of the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse, mm. um, a national process mm. endorsed by the government is actually possible. So this yeah. is something that we would really like to see yeah um, there's more key issues i can talk about um if there's time or I could we we are we are running out of time very quickly but do you think we could briefly mention what they are and maybe we can do another episode in future <laughs> I, think, I think there's many topics i'd like to follow up on ruth so we might need to have you back next year <laughs> <laughs> if so that would be say. okay yeah yeah <laughs> What would be the other key things you'd um, say? Oh, well, I would talk about the contemporary child removals that need to be yeah. addressed. Um, about, you know, there's a, um, uh, the, the, the child placement principle that's in place, but really kids are still not being kept within mm. kin at all. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of factors inhibiting that. Um, that could be a whole episode, Ruth, on be. the contemporary practices. That um, could be. Um, yeah, and you know, adequate resourcing. Yeah. There's always more need for our services yeah. um, than we're funded yeah. to provide. Yeah, and um, education. We yeah. need to raise um, the education. Um, truth telling starts mm -hmm. with um, kids, and yeah. and that helps with combating the um, the ignorance that really still pervades our mainstream society. Yeah, yeah. truth telling, and yeah, I'm just thinking of words. Julia Gillard used in the adoption apology or, or subsequent to the apology talking speaking truth to power that's that's what you need that's what people mm. need to keep doing it's really difficult to do but it's really yeah. important and it needs yeah. to start early with yeah. education yeah now my yeah. children are in the education system yeah. and yeah. Um, you know I'm really surprised at how little you know yeah. sorry day or apology day or even right. knowledge yeah, you know, yeah. Um, education on all levels then yeah, I mean, it's still this idea that Australia's yeah. history, you know, started with the exploration of Captain yeah. Cook or the arrival yeah. of the First Fleet, which yeah. it just didn't. No, of course not. <laughs> exactly. This is what children are being taught uh, still. To well, still, that was when I was at school and that was, I don't know, like 30 years ago now. So, yeah. Um, I mean, they like to say it isn't, but it is really heavily focused yeah. in that way. Well, that's a whole another episode as well on education, on, on how we educate people. Mm, we yeah, can come um, back to those. I'm great, I'm, it's great that I've been able to spark some new episode ideas. Exactly. <laughs> it's a bonus. So I guess to conclude, um, the main thing is how can people um, contact LinkUp? How can they find out if they're eligible? I know there can be some confusion sometimes. People might not even know they're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. But, yeah, how can people find out more about LinkUp and Okay, so to find out more about LinkUp, um, we do have a website and a Facebook page, yep. um, but we can also be contacted. So our phone number in Queensland is 07 3638 0411. Yep. Or we also have a free call number being 1800 200 855. Yep. Um, 
email is also acceptable. Um, yep. Contact at link-upqld.org.au mm -hmm. are all means in which people That's can make contact great. with us. And, and we do have an eligibility criteria, but um, okay. they'll be put onto our intake team who can run yep. over that with them. Yep, sounds great. And we'll also put a link to that, certainly to your website on our um, podcast notes. And will there is on the website, is there a link to the Facebook page? Otherwise, maybe we'll, we might be able to put a link to your Facebook page as well. Or we might be able to share it on our Facebook page at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Any of those options. That sounds great. <laughs> you can put both links there. I think yeah, that might be good. Yep. All right, we will do that. Thank you so much for your time, Ruth. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313. Or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.